Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast with new episodes every Thursday. Thank you for checking out the podcast and listening to the interviews I bring to you each and every week. And thank you for subscribing. It is greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. And of course, the interviews you hear on this podcast originate on my Sirius XM radio show, and you can hear me live daily on Sirius XM on volume, channel 106, live 2 to 4 Eastern, Monday through Friday. Nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. Here on the podcast, you're getting a tiny, tiny taste of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada, please come on and join me each and every day on volume on 106. And thank you for doing so. Very short open because uh, we've got two lengthy interviews for you this week, and we're going to get to them in just a second. I do want to mention something I've been ranting and raving about and warned about, and that is the blatant snubbing of Eddie Van Halen at the Grammys. If you'd like to hear more about that, just listen to my volume show. Listen on the app, especially this past Monday. I, I just destroyed it. For every valid reason it should be destroyed, it was a disgrace that they gave 15 seconds to an icon. And uh, we all know the Grammys are a joke with a capital J when it comes to rock music and the disrespect they show for it in so many ways, the cluelessness they show for it, and this was the ultimate in disrespect. I'll leave it at that. Again, if you want to hear a lot more, and you listen to Sirius or XM, you heard it throughout the week from me and the fans, and you heard it on Monday. One thing I want to clear up that is really irritating, though, I'm aware Wolfgang Van Halen put out a statement that he was approached to do eruption and passed on doing it. That is not an out in any way for the Grammys. They had five months to come up with something else, and you got 15 seconds of an old video clip. 
disgrace, disgrace. All right. Been ranting about it all week. I'll leave it there on this podcast, but much more on the radio if it is of interest to you to hear. The interviews this week. We are going to start with Taylor Momsen. The new album from The Pretty Reckless is fantastic. Death by Rock and Roll. We talked to Taylor about that. It's almost a 40, 45-minute interview. And I also have an interview for you this week with Jay Buchanan, one of the finest lead singers we have in rock, from one of the finest bands we have in rock, Rival Sons. Jay discusses the band's new record imprint and the status of the next Rival Sons album. Two newer bands that are among my favorites. We start with Taylor from The Pretty Reckless. We follow with Jay Buchanan of Rival Sons. It's coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, folks, are you paying out of your own pocket for gear you need to do your job? All kinds of departments across the nation, all those good folks, police, fire, EMS, medical workers on the front lines, even military units. Uh, You deal with constrained budgets, outdated gear, but there's still a job to do, and you need the right gear to do it. Hunting for military first responder discounts has historically required going from one website to another creating multiple account logins just to make purchases and jumping through various hoops to verify your service. Don't you wish there was just one, one place where you could visit that had a carefully crafted selection of deals for military first responders in one spot? Well, folks, we got that answer for you because it is the place to go. And that place is no doubt about it. What I'm about to tell you about, and that is GovX.com. GovX works directly with brands to negotiate the best price possible because you deserve the gear you need at the prices you've earned. Plus, you can trust that the gear you're ordering is 100% authentic direct from the manufacturers. Big general retailers, they don't care about you and your sacrifices as long as you're clicking on the add to the cart button. Not GovX. Got a huge collection of gear and apparel from popular brands all in one convenient location. GovX honors your service and gives back to your communities. So if you're an American of service, a current or former member of the military, firefighters, frontline medical or law enforcement communities, or the emergency medical communities, join GovX for free. And enjoy a community that honors and gives back to patriots like you. And if you got a military or a first responder background, you visit GovX.com. You sign up for free for instant access to tons of deals and a community that honors your service. And check this out. Use the promo code TRUNK15, T-R-U-N-K-15. You get $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's an amazing deal. Just use my code, TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K, 15, govx.com, G-O-V-X.com. 
This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was a Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know. And so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me. For The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters. From Podcast One or wherever you get yours. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Okay, let's get to interview number one on this week's podcast. We'll start with Taylor Momsen. After all, ladies first. The new album, Death by Rock and Roll, an early contender for my albums of the year. If you do not have it, you must check it out. It is a killer record. It's out now. Here's Taylor Momsen to tell us all about it on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey there. How are you, Taylor? Hey, man. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Taylor Momsen is back with us. I was just saying before, when when the single came out, you were on to talk about Death by Rock and Roll, the single. And at that point, you didn't even know when the record was going to come out because I guess we were right in the middle of things. That was probably four or five months ago already, right? Yes, it's uh, it's been a minute, <laughs> and now the whole album's out, and it's kind of it's kind of crazy. It's it's still taking me a minute to kind of wrap my head around it. Like it almost feels surreal. Um, you know, we spent so long working on it and, you know, writing it and working on it and making it. And then basically a year sitting on it due to the pandemic. And now it's finally out and everyone can listen to it. And it's just absolutely incredible. I'm so, I'm so excited. It's my favorite record you guys have made with all respect to the past ones. It's my fa- it, it is a phenomenal record. I'm not just saying that because you're here. We know each other. You know, I would tell you if I, I mean, I, I love the record. It's incredible. And I know we're only in early March but it's, it's the record to beat so far for me for album of the year. I mean, it's that good. So congratulations. Oh my goodness. Thank you. We, we worked very hard on it. So that, that really means a lot. And, um, and you know, it does like, you know, me like, and I, and I know that you would tell me the truth. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Eddie. Well, well, and you worked hard on it and going back to what I said before about the single, I remember when we talked at that time, you were in the same boat as a lot of artists because it was like, I don't know if we're going to wait and put the record out when the pandemic's over and we just put this song out. It was very much a gray area as far as the release plan and what has happened with not just the pretty reckless, but a lot of bands, it seems is after a certain point, you reach the point where you're like, you know what, this thing just has to come out and you just put it out. And I know ideally it would be out when you could be out touring and we could be talking not on zoom, but I'm, I'm assuming that's how the process played out with, with your camp. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like back when it was back in March, I guess, or May, uh, May, I always get the end months mixed up uh, back in May when we put out the single death by rock and roll, like that felt weird, like just putting out one song and not being able to play it live felt strange. And so that was kind of the reasoning that we kept pushing the album back, you know, further and further. Um, and then we finally hit a point, you know, we've released a couple more singles, one of them being a song called 25, which, 
you know, I wrote that song when I was 24 turning 25. I recorded that right after my 25th birthday. I'm now 27. I got to the point where I was like, what, what are we going to put this record out when I'm 30? Like, we got to just kind of close <laughs> our eyes, pick a date and jump because like that's, you know, that's the world we're living in right now and we can't rely on touring. And it, it's still very strange to not be able to, 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 especially to put out a full album and not be able to play it live is a very weird space to kind of live in. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think that people need music right now more than ever. Like, I, I still stand by that. Like, you know, you can't leave your house. So what else do you have to do? Listen to the record. You know, <laughs> I think music has such a healing quality to it. And and I actually think that this album at the end of the day, even though it's entitled Death by Rock and Roll, which might seem very, you know, morbid to some people. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's actually a very hopeful album. And I think that that's something that everyone everyone could use a little bit more of right now, especially right now, like, especially in these ridiculously insane times that we're still living in, um, you know, a little more hope. And in my personal opinion, I think everyone could always use a little more rock and roll. So, <laughs> so we yeah. kind of just close by and picked a date and went, go for it. Jump. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now, as far as the, al- I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but as far as the album is concerned, um, you talk about morbid versus uplifting and, and it is interesting because this record I know was made and is very challenging for you to, to, to deal with this record because you had lost your producer Cato from the beginning. And, and uh, you know, in a nutshell, he was, he, he died in a motorcycle accident, correct? Yes. Yes, and, and, and this is the first record you made without him. And I know the record's dedicated to him. So that was difficult. Everyone knows you struggled greatly with the loss of Chris Cornell. So the, the theme of death by rock and roll, am I on track saying kind of ties in with those events as well? Of course. I mean, you know, I think that, I mean, first of all, death by rock and roll, the title alone, you know, the, the phrase death by rock and roll that came from Cato. I mean, that was something that Cato used to say all the time, like, back in 2008 or whatever it was when we formed the band it was this it was this phrase he said and it was this kind of ethic and this code that we all lived our life by and that I still live my life by of death by rock and roll you know live life your own way go out your own way don't let anyone tell you differently rock and roll till I die and it was very much this kind of battle cry for for life and for freedom and and obviously rock and roll and so when he passed that that phrase and that sentiment just became overwhelmingly relevant again to me in, in the kind of a new way. And so this was probably the first album that I had actually titled before I had written all the songs for it. Um, but there's no way to, it's press has been kind of strange for me in the cycle for, you know, a multitude of reasons. One, you know, doing it all on zoom and not leaving your house and in the whole, this whole strange situation we're all living in. But also like, I don't think that I necessarily thought through the aspect of having to kind of relive these stories constantly, you know, by speaking about them, like, cause I, you know, I, I make music for myself. I write songs is almost a form of therapy. Like, you know, the, the writing of this record was very cathartic for me. And it was kind of the, the first major step I took towards healing myself, you know, cause I, I went very, very down there for a while into this very dark hole of depression and substance abuse and, you know, everything that comes with loss and grief and trauma and, um, and it was music that pulled me out of it. So the creating of this album was very, um, it was very, you know, it saved my life. And I, but I didn't think about having to then kind of constantly relive these stories every single day, all the time. So it, like almost every interview has become kind of like a therapy session in a weird way. And some days it's fine. And some days it's a little like picking out a scab that like, you just got to be a little careful because, you know, those, those, you know, those events and those losses and, you know, you know, Kato was one of the loves of my life. Like if that, 
you know, not romantic, you know what I mean? Like that, but he's, he's my best friend on the planet. And so like that loss is, you know, and that pain, that's never going to go away. It just, it just kind of transforms over time and it turns into something, it turns into a scar. It turns into something that you learn how to, you know, wear with pride, I guess. And it becomes, it becomes a part of you. And so this record is very much, it's, of course, it's an homage to him. I mean, for Christ's sakes, the song, you know, the death, death of rock and roll, the, the first thing you hear on the album is Cato's footsteps walking down the hallway of the house aloud. And the last song you hear is Harley Darling, which is very much my love letter to him. So it's, it's, of course, it's an homage to him. So even though, you know, even though he's not here anymore, um, physically, it's, it's, it's a way of keeping his memory alive because I just, I refuse to let his memory die. He was too important. And I think that that's such a powerful thing that music, um, you know, allows you to do. It allows, it allows legacies and life to live on past the physical being of your body, you know? Well, you, you talk about the fact that you're 27 now, and that's touched on as well. And this whole theme that we're talking about is touched on in the record in a song called Rock and Roll Heaven, because you talk about, you know, there's that, that dreaded 27 club of all these legendary artists that we've lost. So you touch on that loss in, in that song as well for people that clearly you didn't know, Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. what have you. So, the, so throughout the, the, although I, I certainly wouldn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I certainly would, don't feel like this is a concept record. There is a thread of it throughout all the songs, just given what you were going through as you were writing, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's, such the, I, that's why I love albums so much, is because it really encapsulates, you know, this is certainly not a, it's not a concept album, but it's, but anytime you write a record, it's, it encapsulates a time period in an artist's life. And if you give it the grace to listen to the whole thing, you're really going to be able to kind of get inside that artist's head and see where they were coming from and, you know, what perspective they were, you know, maybe writing from. And, and I always find that really interesting. And I think that this album, you know, it's, it is kind of bookended. It starts, it's a, it's a very full circle record, I guess. Like it, it starts out very kind of heavy and dark and almost bleak. And about halfway through, there's this kind of musical shift that shows that, you know, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is hope if you're willing to see it. And I think that that is that's why the, the more the more kind of time I've had to be able to sit with the album and, and listen to it and reflect on it, the more I'm realizing that, that it actually is a really hopeful record at the end of the day. It kind of shows this arc of this journey of, of you know, everything that we went through and um in kind of the most raw and honest way possible. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's, that's certainly a part of it. And rock and roll heaven is kind of, it's, it's celebrating music, you know, and it's, it's celebrating, you know, yes, we've lost so many people way too young and especially in, in, in music, but, you know, but in all art forms, but especially in music. And I think, you know, rock and roll heaven is kind of almost a celebratory song in a way of going, you know what, like, you're no longer here, but the music goes on playing long after you're gone. And like, I'll, that's, you know, by saying your name, by playing your records, I'm keeping you alive. And that's something that I'm keeping your legacy alive. And I think that that's something that's so important um, just in general in life, you know? The second track on the record, after we talked last, you sent it to me and uh, it was incredible. Only love can save me now. And you, we, you know, you're such a big Soundgarden fan the thrill of having Matt and Kim on this and Kim with a classic ripping 
Soundgarden-esque guitar solo on it is just so, so cool. Uh, Did that come about just because I imagine when you guys toured together, you connected and then it was just a natural thing to ask them to appear on the record? Kind of, yeah. I mean, after, you know, after everything that went down, we stayed, we stayed fairly close. um, And we, you know, I, I played the Chris Cornell on the highway tribute show with them. And, uh, and shortly after that, you know, we were starting to record the album and I had written the song only love can save me now. That was actually one of the first, I don't want to say first, but one of the the earlier songs written for the album that I was kind of in a very, yeah, I don't, I don't know the right way to describe it, but I was in kind of a place of um, desperation, I guess is the right word at the time. And that song in particular just had this very, you know, dare I say it, Soundgarden-esque feel to it (laughs) that I thought that they would contribute something that we couldn't, you know, bring to the table ourselves. And so I sent them a a very, very rough demo of it and called them up and was like, Hey guys, would you want to, would you want to lend your voices to this? Cause I think, I think we could really make something extraordinarily special together. And, um, and thankfully they said yes. And it, and it it actually became one of the last songs we recorded for the album because we did it in Seattle, which was just incredible. We recorded it london bridge studios which is you know where soundgarden recorded louder than love and pearl jam made 10 and alice and james made dirt and you know the list goes on and on and on so to not only be in such an iconic space which you know i'm kind of a firm believer that places are like people like they don't they hold memories inside the walls and that's something that you you can just feel you can feel that energy as soon as you walk in that room um so to not only be there but then to be there with matt and kim creating something new after all this all this pain and suffering that we'd all gone through separately and together and, you know, and everything, it was, it was a very, again, I don't want to speak for them, but for me, it was this very beautiful full circle moment of just proving how important music is and how, how healing it is and how it just, that it, you know, it's soul food. It, it, it does something that nothing else in the world can do. And I think that that's so incredibly powerful. And then like on a light note, just to hear the song come to life for the first time with them playing it was just the coolest thing in the world. I mean, the first time, the first time Matt hits his snare and the first note that Kim plays on the guitar, I thought the speakers were going to explode. Like it was just absolutely awesome. We all kind of looked at each other and went, well, that worked, but yeah. that worked really well. Like that was, that was, that was one of those magical smooth moments where everything just kind of clicked. And, uh, and it's, it's certainly one of my, um, you know, proudest musical accomplishments and, dare i say it one of my favorite songs on the record i'm not supposed to pick favorites but i would be uh, <laughs> i'd be lying to you if i said if i said it wasn't so i um i really owe them because they just they took that song and 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 brought it to its full potential and just really brought the whole thing to life and so i'm i'm very thankful and grateful that they're a part of it and it's just i love it so if you haven't yeah. heard it please, please turn it up <laughs> it is so killer it is such a such you know what's amazing to me about it is and i should know this being that you're such a big Soundgarden fan and i assume Ben, your guitarist, Ben Phillips is as well. But the, knowing that you and Ben wrote this record together, when I when I heard the song and I knew that Matt and Kim were on it, I fully expected just from hearing it that maybe they had some role in the writing of it, but they actually didn't. I mean, you and Ben wrote yeah. the song, but it, so it really was like you really, from a writer's standpoint, completely captured Soundgarden, and then you put the icing <laughs> on top of having two members from Soundgarden actually play on it. But it's definitely, I mean, that riff sounds exactly like something that Kim would have come up with. 
Well, thank you. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we were intentionally trying to rip anyone off, but like, obviously Soundgarden is such a, you know, if they've been such a massive influence on me my entire life, I mean, musical influence. I mean, from, you know, it's, I always say it's the Beatles and it's Soundgarden. They're like my two pinnacle bands that I always turn to when I, when I'm feeling down and I need something to, you know, lift my spirits and inspire, like you crank any Soundgarden record, you crank any Beatles record, and it's going to give you that kind of extra juice. And so that's why I was saying, like, it, you know, when we wrote the riff and we wrote this, the whole song was kind of completed and we had it in a demo form. I was like, well, I have to ask them to be a part of this. Like, we're just going to like, I think my joke to Matt was, I was like, will you guys play on this? Cause if, if you don't, we're just going to sound like we're ripping you off. Like, <laughs> so, like, can, you, can you, can you, uh, can you help out here? And, you know, in, even if we did it ourselves, which, you know, I love that song so much and, and I would have recorded it, you know, had they said no, um, it just, it wouldn't have been the same. I mean, like they, you know, Matt and Kim, like they, they have such an unparalleled weight to what they do that is just unlike anyone else. And, you know, you can, you can try to fabricate that and duplicate that all you want, but it's just, it's never going to be the same. Like they're, they're, they're one of a kind. And that is, um, you know, that's what I love about them is that, that there's no one else in the world like them. You know, I saw, I was at that show at the forum, the tribute to Chris and you did an incredible job there. And I'm it, my my gears are turning now. Like we know that the Soundgarden guys want to do something. We know that unfortunately there's a lot of drama that's been very public in that camp about past releases and the two camps and what may or may not happen. I'm thinking you guys all work so well together. You know, you're one of the few artists that doesn't have a second band. Taylor Momsen singing in like a Soundgarden 2.0. What do you think? I mean, I'm never going to say never to anything. I mean, let me put it this way. I love, I love Matt. I love Kim. I love Ben. I mean, I love all of them so much and not just as musicians, but I love them as people. Like that was something that I was a little bit nervous about when we actually, when we toured with them in the beginning is, you know, you always hear horror stories of like, don't meet your idols or don't meet people you look up to because they can go South so quickly. And not only were they just, you know, I don't need to tout their musicianship. I think anyone who's heard them knows. But not only were they incredible in that aspect, they were just the nicest, most down to earth, cool dudes in the world. And it was just like, it was like a, it was a very, you know, uh, easy connection, I guess. Like it just, it, we all kind of got along and understood each other very quickly. And that's, and I, and I love when that happens, like, you know, cause you never know what to expect. So like, I just, I love them so much as people. So to answer your question, Matt can, but they could call me with anything. And before they even ask a question, the answer would be yes. Like I, I love them so much that of course. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a killer track. It really is one of many on the new album from the pretty reckless death by rock and roll. Now you've got another great track on here. And so it went featuring a good friend of mine on guitar, Mr. Morello. And oh. he's the other guest uh, player on here. And the video for that. Tom's guitar is in it. I don't think that's necessarily Tom behind the mask, right? But no, but not. you had a you 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 got an image of the guitar. You you replicated the guitar for the video, right? Um, well, it's actually he's selling that guitar now, so you can you can go buy oh. one for yourself. But oh, okay. uh, well, that was yeah. No, I mean, dude, we had we filmed those videos in COVID, so it was right. you know just to, just to film the video in general was a bit of a a bit of a struggle is an understatement. Like it was a lot of pre-planning that went into play. And uh, we actually filmed three back to back in New York and in, in, in about the course of a, I don't know, like a week and a half or something like that. Um, so it was a lot of work, but it was, uh, so we just, we couldn't, 
just like physically make it work to have Tom in the video, but I really wanted him to be represented and what better way to represent him than to use his, you know, iconic guitar that everyone's going to see and immediately know that that's Tom's guitar. Like he has, his guitars are like his playing. He has such a unique voice with what, like I always say that I love, I love musicians, but specifically guitar players that have a voice behind them that is, it almost sounds like a human voice singing. Like you, you don't have to look, it's not just someone, you know, playing lots of notes really fast. Like they practice shredding in their bedroom 10 hours a day. Like there's an identity behind that. And there's, there's a point and there's a message and there's, um, you know, they have something to say with their instrument. And I think that that's so powerful and, and that gets lost. I think a lot of the time, especially in kind of modern music. And Tom is just one of those, you know, that's why, he's an icon, you know, and Kim is as well is because you hear them and you're not going to mistake them for someone else. You're just going to go, yep, that's Tom Morello. And that's, and that's phenomenal. So I think that, and so when, and so when it came about, it was kind of a, it was a very kind of simple decision for me to ask him to play a solo on it and be a part of it just due to the kind of lyrical content, the overall vibe and energy of the song itself. Like it just, it made a lot of musical sense to me in my own head. Like I could hear him coming in and being Tom Morello and wailing like no one else other than him can. And it just, and I thought it would work really, really well. So kind of similar to, uh, to only look and say me now, I sent him a, a demo of it and asked him if he'd want to, you know, play on it. And he thankfully said yes. And when he, when he sent back his tracks and we put the whole thing together, it did exactly what I thought it was going to do. It just, he comes in screaming and it's just fucking awesome. So like, you know, there, if you, if you don't already have the song turned up by the time Tom's coming in, you're, you're cranking that stereo to 10 because he's just, he's a wizard. He's awesome. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't want to overlook something here because it's easy for everyone to go right to when you talk about guitar playing to obviously Kim being on the record and Tom being on the record. But I got to tell you, Ben Phillips, your guitar player, um, turns in an unbelievable performance himself on this record. I mean, he's just ripping. I mean, he, I mean I've seen the band, your band so many times. I know Ben and I know, you know having seen them live, but he really shines on this record too. And I don't want that to get lost in this because when you listen to, you know, even on a track like Death by Rock and Roll, I mean, he's just ripping on it. So amazing performance by him that absolutely should not be overlooked, I think. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I, uh, I agree with you. I, you know, I, 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 um, you know, as much as I love, you know, Kim and Tom and it's, it's amazing to work with them, you know, they're not in my band. Ben is like, you know, we're in a band together for a reason. And I think that, um, and I think that you're right. I think Ben really actually, he shines a lot on this record and, uh, and I'm very glad. I think we all kind of, I think we all took a step forward on this album. I mean, we kind of, you know, we lost everything. So we had to kind of rebuild from scratch, like basically from the beginning. And I think that by doing that, we all really had to kind of step up to the plate in a way that we hadn't before. Where we, we all had to take on more responsibility and more, um, you know, like this is the first album that Ben and I actually, we actually co-produced the album because it was, we, we were so kind of entrenched in the music itself and in the songs and, and, that we couldn't that giving it off to some you know big name or someone you know even if i'm sure that would have been fantastic like they would have done a fantastic job you know not to name names but that just kind of felt wrong like we were we were too involved um to kind of just give it away like we had to, like we had to be a part of every aspect of it and you know and that included the production which was which really production is just simply trying to accentuate the song in the best way possible and figure out what i'm hearing in my head 
and somehow figure out how to make that come out of the other arm of the speaker so everyone else can hear it too. And really the answer to that is just a lot of trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of performances, I, I gotta, I gotta say this too. I mean, your, your vocal is on your vocals on this record and some of these songs, 25 comes to mind immediately, but there's so many, it's just unreal. And I'm wondering as your career is progressed, progressed as you said earlier you're you're 27 now you started very very young i saw you very young in the very beginning but how do you feel do you feel a a, a better level of confidence as a vocalist have you uh, have you worked at it more as you've gone on do, i mean you you always not to say you ever you didn't ever sound great but it just seems maybe i'm crazy but there's just a whole nother level of maybe um, confidence. I don't know if that's the right word, but just in, in, in the way you're singing and the authority in it is just incredible. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel you've progressed as a vocalist? Yeah. First of all, thank you. Um, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't have a simple answer to that because I don't really follow any of the rules. Like when it comes to vocals, like I don't really practice, I don't really warm up. I kind of, I think, with this album, I mean, first of all, the, the first record, you know, Light Me Up, I was only 15 when we recorded that album. So, like, my voice hadn't even fully changed yet, you know. So, I think a part of that is just simply getting older and, you know, maturing physically. Um, but also, I think that this record came from such a such an honest and raw place that there was no there was no way to kind of fabricate anything on this record. Like, all that all that pain, all that loss, all that, all those emotions, you know, from negative to positive, whatever you want to call them, like they, they were right there on my sleeve and there was no way to kind of um, get away from that. And I, so I think that that created a very kind of raw vocal approach because I, I couldn't, I wasn't at a place where I could try to manufacture anything. Like I was lucky if I could get a note out some days, you know? Um, so it was, I think it just came from a, you know, when you go through, when life throws you curveballs that take you down, I think, you know, I feel like I grew up exponentially, you know, like 10 years and two months. Like it's, you know, like you, you know, life experience, um, you know, weighs on you in, in one way or the other. And I think that it just, it kind of forced me into a, into a position where I, I had to, I had to, you know, I had to make a conscious decision at some point. Like I got like, not to get all heavy, but like I got very down where I had to make the decision of like, I'm either going to die doing what I'm doing right now, or I'm going to change and move forward with life. And I luckily chose to move forward with life. And that's because of this album. So I think that all the kind of, you know, that vulnerability and that aggression and that you know whatever whatever word you want whatever adjective you want to use to describe it I think there was just there was no way around it it just was it was who I was at that point in time and I think that that's part of the reason that this that makes this album such a kind of special record is that there was no we were incapable of manufacturing anything like it just it simply was what it was and we had to um you know work within those boundaries because we were the people we were at that time and some of those you know and a lot of that time we were train wrecks <laughs> like we were still trying to get our get our shit together and so it was I so I think that that makes for something that is um you know unrepeatable in one way I guess if that if that makes sense yeah I think it's amazing and a great credit to how far you've come with this with your life and this record and what you came out of and where you're at now I was going through my my photos and I mean we were in 
I was in touch with you when you were going through all that. I'm sure a lot of people were just checking on you. We'd seen each other at some festivals early on, right after the the stuff with Chris Cornell. But I found a photo of you in my studio in New York around that time as well. And you could just feel, looking at this photo, your energy, the way you, you look, I mean, you could just feel that your know, life felt like it was draining out of you at that time. It just did not, you know, it was not good. So the fact that you were able to get through all of this, looking and sounding so healthy now and, and coming out the other side is great because you, you know, you can, it's one thing to write about death by rock and roll, make a record called that, but we don't need to be losing more people to it. So, wow. I, you know, I give you a lot of credit for, for, for where you've come. Thank you. You know, and it, it wasn't easy, but, um, but at the end of the day, you know, like I, is cl- I keep saying it and I'm sure I've said it to you the last time we talked as cliche as it may sound rock and roll saved my life. Like it really did. It, it gave me a reason to get up in the morning. And when I finally, you know, I spent a lot of time where I couldn't listen to music. Like everything I put on just was too painful. It brought back some sort of memory. Like I just, I, I wasn't ready to, to handle it. And that was the first time in my life where I've gone, you know, months without listening to music. And, and I came and I, I felt myself de- depriving myself of that, but like I, but I couldn't face it yet. And, and, you know, I need, I've found in my life, I need music the same way I need food and water and oxygen. Like I need it to survive. And so when I finally got around to listening to records again, and I, I basically kind of started from the beginning of asking myself, like, where did you fall in love with music from the first place? Where did this start for you? And I started with the Beatles and listening to all the records and the demos and the anthology. And from that going into, you know, Led Zeppelin and the who and Pink Floyd and, you know, the list and list goes on and on and on of Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix and eventually getting to be able to listen to Soundgarden and Audio Slave again and stuff and have that bring me joy led to me picking up a guitar, which led to me just playing music. And the natural progression to that was then I just, I kind of just started to write and without any intention of writing an album, like it just kind of poured out of me. And I keep saying that I didn't, I didn't have to try to write this record. Like this record almost wrote itself. And as soon as I started to kind of put pen to paper and, you know, express everything that I had been essentially repressing for, you know, a year, years, um, it, it became very cathartic. And that was the first really like major step that I took to getting myself back on the right track. Um, and it, you know, it was the, it was the first time that I kind of looked in the mirror and saw like a little bit of spark in my eye that hadn't been there in a very long time. And, and it just, it just goes to show that like music is so powerful and I, and I feel so fortunate and lucky to have discovered that about myself at such a young age. Cause I, I know that about myself. I know that music is the place that I can really be me and especially writing is where I always have been able to kind of find my balance and find my center um and without that I was just I was a very lost person and so when I finally you know went back to the thing that I know and love it it provided me everything that I was missing and so as cliche as it may sound this album is the reason I'm still here so you know if anyone wants to tell you rock and roll is dead I will tell you no rock and roll saves lives my friend rock and roll saves lives yeah, we just had a conversation before you were on with me. Gary Spivak was on from Danny Wimmer Presents, who did this movie, Long Live Rock. And we were just taught he was promoting the film. And he talked about you and how you were supposed to do the interview. And it was just, you know, Chris had just passed and they got you later on. And that's a theme in the movie. The, the, the part of the, not only is your part of your story in the movie, but also the fact that how cathartic rock and roll is for, for fans and artists and everyone. It's really important it's super important. I just, I think it's, 
I think that it's, I don't want to say it's undervalued, but I think that it's, it's underappreciated sometimes. I think, especially in the modern paradigm of music of, and, and just not just music, but the world, like everything's moving so fast all the time. Like it's, you know, someone puts out a song and not even in the next day, like, you know, the next minute there's something else that you're distracted by. And if you, but if you really, I, I just, I feel bad. I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but I feel bad for people who don't appreciate rock and roll. Like I, I, I feel like you're, you're missing such a huge part of life. Like, you know, rock and roll is, first of all, you have to remember that it was, it's, it was never in the mainstream and like, you know, it has its moments in the sun and that's awesome when that happens, but that's not where it was born. That's not, you know, that's rock and roll was always meant for the underdogs. It was meant to, you know, it, it deals in subject matter that, you know, is not always easy to talk about and, um, it, and, you know, kind of, you know, heavy subject matter, you know, things that are, you know, uncomfortable. And I think, and, but I think that that's such a necessary part of life. Like you're, if you don't, if you don't deal with the negative side of life to a degree, then you're never going to see the positive side of it. Like, you know, it, it's two sides of the coin. If you only live in, you know, rainbow butterfly land or whatever you want to call right. it, and you don't, then you're not going to see the other side. And if you only live in the dark, then you're not going to see the light. So it, it, it really is about finding that balance and rock and roll, I think has such a, it's just so powerful. It's so primal that like, so I feel bad for people who haven't discovered that and haven't found that, that kind of deep love inside of them where it can feed you so much that you didn't even know that you were missing in your life. And um, so I just feel really fortunate that I figured that out so young. Cause like people will spend their whole lives trying to figure out not only what they want to do, but just something that they even enjoy. And um so if you haven't gotten into rock and roll yet, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would too. I mean, I'm 56 and I started at about 13. So uh, it served me well, that's for sure. I'm still standing and I, I believe it helps keep us young. I mean, I, you don't have to worry about that because you still are young. When you're my no, age, I, I feel like it does. keeps you young. <laughs> rock and roll absolutely keeps you young because it keeps, I don't know, it keeps that, it, rock and roll is the epitome of freedom. And to me, freedom yeah. is like you know, the epitome of youth. It's like, it's, it's, it, it all, it's all circular. It all, all works together. And it's just, it's just awesome. And you got to remember that we get to crank loud guitars and that's just the coolest thing on the planet. And anyone who tells <laughs> them differently, I will argue you until I'm blue in the face. Loud Good for you. It's awesome. <laughs> Good for you. I couldn't agree more. And there's plenty of them on the new pretty reckless album, death by rock and roll, which is out now. Hopefully we'll be talking about live pretty reckless shows is there anything on your calendar now that you can tell people is, is things are starting to percolate a little bit what do you what are you hearing and i mean it's been i feel like this has been the same cycle since 2020 started it was you know you got a tour planned six months comes around okay no the tour is pushed another six months six months comes around no it's pushed another six months so it's kind of the same i'm in the same boat as we've been so we keep planning things and they just keep getting pushed and so I honestly don't know. Like, it's just, I, I really, it's, it's a bummer. Cause I don't like, I miss, I mean, I miss playing live to say I miss playing live is an understatement. Like that, you know, it's as fun as it is to, you know, do stuff at home and acoustic strip back versions of songs and things like that. And, and work virtually or whatever. It's not the same. Like you can't get that kind of symbiotic experience that you, that you share with the fans virtually. Like, so I don't know. I really don't. That's the, that's the sad truth of it. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that it'll be sooner than later, but who, honestly, who knows my, the biggest thing that I want to work on now is this. I want to, I just want to get in the, uh, not in the studio, but into the rehearsal space with the guys, because it's been so long that since we've actually played together, just the four of us as a band, like 
fully plugged in and together in a room. I'm like, let's just start there. <laughs> like, let's right. we'll figure out yeah. the dates later. But like, we have to start there to begin with anyway. So like, that's what I'm looking forward to is like cranking amps and having Jamie pound the drums and me actually getting to scream into a microphone. And you know, my joke has become as much as I love acoustic guitar, I really miss electricity at this point. So yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully, we can start that at least sooner than later. And you know, that'll either lead to live shows, hopefully, or some sort of live stream or I don't know something. Like we'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about the visual components because obviously that's a, a big thing as well with what you do and the videos, the videos people can go, there's actually a sub site death by rock and I believe it is where people can see all the videos, but the three you've done so far from this record, all very different, all very, very cool. And then that, uh, that leads me to question about the record itself and the, and the artwork. Now I'm, all about physical product. I, first thing when I hear a record I love, I got to get it. I'm a CD guy, but I know the record's out on vinyl. So I get the CD. I want to ask you about the album cover. And then when you open the cover, there's a slightly different take on the album cover photo inside where your arms are not covering your chest. And uh, talk a little bit about that and the decision to do those photos and the decision to appear that way inside the jacket. Well, the photo on the inside was actually the, the, the photo that I wanted to be the album cover. Um, but for obvious reasons, we could not make that happen. Um, put a little have, piece right? of black tape or something across the, couldn't they? Yeah, you could have, but then it, but then it takes away from the purity of it. And I think that that was, that was really the kind of concept behind the album art. I mean, I spend, I spend a lot of time. I, album covers are very important to me. They always have been. And so I spent a lot of time kind of conceiving of what it should be. And it's, it's always a bit of a challenge because you spend so long creating a record, you know, writing a record, making it, and it has so many layers and elements to it. And how do you sum up all of that in one image, in one photograph? And so with this album cover, the, the concept and the, the, the thing that kept kind of resonating to me was the, the word rebirth. Um, and the kind of concept that, you know, you come, you're born into this world naked with nothing but your soul and you leave this world with nothing but your soul and that, that kind of full circle symmetry and how can you kind of express that? And, and it was very important to me that it was a photograph, that it was pure and vulnerable and raw yet aggressive and bold. And so like even the lighting, like everything about it is very specific. I mean, even the lighting itself, if you look at it, the, you know, the left side of the album is actually lit very dark, which kind of represents right. the first half of the album. People and watching the, video. Yeah. And the, and the, the right side is where my face is turned is turned toward towards the light, which is kind of representative of the flow of the album itself. Um, and it was, you know, and it's, it's a real grave. Like that was, the, that was really important to me. That's a, yeah. That's where a, was it? It wasn't shot on a set. It was actually done in a cemetery. Well, it was, it was done on a set cause we, it was freezing. Um, but it was, but the set itself was all real. Like that's real stone. It was a real grave that we made all the detail, all the moss, all the cracks, all the leaves, like all of that was a real, um, you know, you could have put it in a cemetery and it would, it would, you know, last the test of time so that was really important to me that it was it was very authentic and it kind of encapsulated everything that the album was trying to say um and the nudity was just something that I really didn't even think about I thought of it as it, it was such an artistic statement that it was so far from just clothing didn't really fit into my image of what I saw this record being like it it it, it had to be 
exposed and sad and vulnerable, but bold and aggressive and intense. And like, so it had to kind of culminate all of those feelings that the album, um, you know, if you listen to it, hopefully portrays. And that's always a challenge in a photograph. So I'm very proud with how it turned out. And it was, it was, uh, it was incredible because we actually, we got that in, in the nick of time. Like we, we recorded that, I recorded that. We uh, shot that back in March in New York, right before lockdown started. And it was just, you know, back in the very beginning of the pandemic before any of us had any idea that quarantine was even going to be a thing. Um, so I was very fortunate that we actually got to finish kind of the whole packaging of the album before, uh, you know, everything shut down, but it was just, it was a great, cause we actually shot it with Danny Hastings. Who's the guy who, um, he's the amazing photographer who he also shot going to hell. Um, and he's, you know, he, and he's an icon in his own right. I mean, he shot enter the Wu-Tang by Wu-Tang clan and, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and I love working with him because his, he's just, he's such an artist artist, I guess is kind of the right way to describe him. Like he, his whole goal is to, understand your vision and see that through to the fullest um and and somehow you know make that happen for you and and he's just so positive to work with on set and he's just it's so it makes it a lot of fun and and he's obviously super super talented so um so it was was, uh, a lot of fun to kind of to go almost back in time but in this new light and and continue our journey together of of working together and i'm just i'm very proud of how it turned out so I, i hope people understand that it's it's very, um, there's a lot of levels to the album cover. It's, it's not, you know, on a first glance, you might, you might take it as something than something other than it's intended, I guess. Right. Right. And last thing I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you, the very first time I ever saw you play and we've talked about it cause you, you, uh, I remember years ago when we met and you said, Oh my God, I was so drunk and it was terrible. The worst <laughs> show ever. You were opening for Marilyn Manson in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, right now, Manson going through some really serious allegations. Um, you were very young on tour with Manson. Uh, for your experience is, is with him, you know, your thoughts, anything you can share? Were you no problems when you were on the road? I, honestly, you know, I I don't want to get too into this because I, I don't feel like, A, it's my place to talk about it because I don't know. First of all, I've been living in such a press bubble. I mean, the record just came out, so I've been doing this kind of thing like all day. So I'm I'm very uninformed as to what's going on. I've heard tidbits, but um, no, my experience with Manson was awesome. Like we had a, I had a great time on that tour, and so I have nothing. I, I have nothing to contribute to this conversation other than like I had a really great time, and I unfortunately got way too drunk that show that you saw. <laughs> <laughs> and I well on. The Wilmot in Montclair. I'll never forget the first time I met you and you're like, I, I saw you at the Wilmot open for Manson. You're like, oh no. And I go, what? You I was terrible at that show. And I honestly didn't leave there thinking that, but, uh, I, you no, know, I, where, well, thank you. That was one where I kicked myself and I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. After the show, Taylor. After <laughs> you learned. And, and the last thing, and I, cause I know we got to go, you mentioned a song on this record called 25, which there's a video for, which is just, a monstrous epic song. I absolutely love it. I love the video. I love the song. Your vocal on it is incredible. It's such, such a cool song. Can you give us, you know, just a, a minute or two about that song and what, you know, you said you wrote it a couple years ago, but can you, what can you tell us about that particular song? Cause I think it's a monster. 
Thank you. Um, well, 25, I wrote 20, 25 was one of the first songs written for the album. It was the first song we recorded for the record. Um, I wrote that when I was 24 turning 25. So I was kind of in a, I was still in a very dark headspace from everything that had happened, but, um, but I was also in a very kind of reflective period of my life. I like, I tend to get very, I don't know, sentimental and kind of go down memory lane anytime I have a birthday, which I, I feel like a lot of people probably do, but I, I certainly do. And um, so I was just kind of in a very reflective headspace at the time. And I had, I, and I knew, so the song itself is very autobiographical and, and the kind of the, the content of it or the context came from, I knew I wanted to end at 25. Like I had this chorus idea where I, you know, I was a mess, but I could look in the mirror and I was like, I'm 25 and I'm still here and I'm still alive. And that's, that says something, um, you know, even, you know, so to me, that's actually kind of the first song on the record that has this indication of hope for the future. Um, but I had this concept of somehow counting through all the years and ending up at 25. So it took a little bit of trickery to figure out how to do that and not have it be totally stupid and, you know, cliche and awful. Uh, so, so it was a little bit of wordplay, but when I finished, um, when I finished writing that song, I, it was a moment that I will never forget because it was a moment where I kind of took, I was sitting by myself and I put down the guitar and I kind of took a, I, I like set the guitar across the room and kind of sat on the couch and looked at it. And I went to myself, I just kind of went, I think, I think that might be really good. And I think I just might've gotten way better and I didn't know it. And so I think that that was a moment where I realized that I had kind of taken a, a step forward in my in my songwriting ability it's, and what I was able to. Come yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but you and I both have to go, but I, it's, it's yeah. epic. It's incredible. And I'll tell you what the first, when I heard it to me, it felt like it should be in a James Bond movie. <laughs> it feels yeah. like, it feels like it should be the open, this grand thing. Like just the way you sing it. It's <laughs> like, that's like, that should be. So tell your publishing company to shop it to the next bond movie because it should be in it. It's awesome. Well, you know, I would be remiss to say, first of all, I'm a huge James Bond fan, so I'd be remiss to say that, I mean, this is not written for a James Bond movie by any means. It's fully about my life, but Bond was turning 25. I was turning 25. To say that that wasn't rattling in go. the back of my brain somewhere, like, of course it was. So, the, you know, there's there's okay. elements, but, uh, but you know. Maybe one day it would be very cool. I would love to write a James Bond song. Just, just the point. grandeur of it, cool. the epicness of it, the scope of it. It's just, well, it feels it very, like, well, it's, it's, it's awesome. you know, it's encapsulating a life. So I wanted it to be very cinematic. And that was, that was my concept was totally. Cinema. So thank you. I got to run. You got to run. Great I to see run. you. Congrats you on the record. Death by rock and roll out now from the pretty reckless. We'll talk soon. Okay. Absolutely. Love you, Eddie. Thank you so much. Love you too. Thank you, Taylor. Bye-bye. Always great to talk to Taylor. Appreciate her taking the time out. And check out that new album, Death by Rock and Roll. It is fantastic. We'll come back and talk to Jay Buchanan of Rival Sons. Two big interviews for you. Another one coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, movie lovers. Who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Okay, now let's turn our attention to Jay Buchanan, one of the great singers we have. He, of course, the front man of Rival Sons. Jay called into Trunk Nation, my Sirius XM radio show. 
from the studio where Rival Sons are working on a new record, shared some information about that, and also talked about some reissues the band have coming. Here's Jay Buchanan of Rival Sons. Jay, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Eddie. Thanks for having me, man. How you doing? Anytime. I'm I'm doing good. I'm where where are you at? We're doing this on Zoom, so I have a chance to see you in some sort of jam room, studio room. Where I you at? am in. Yeah, no, actually, here I'll show you real quick now. I am in the studio. Arcia, there's Scott, Todd's back oh. over there. Miley's oh, wow. somewhere over there. There's yeah, we're in the, yeah, we're at uh, we're at RCA right now. Uh, he, he says hi. Hey, Scott. <laughs> Scott <too. laughs> Waving um, through the glass. We're, yeah, we're at RCA right now, and uh, this is our third session for this record. And it's good to be here making music, i got to tell you. So you're in Nashville, and uh, you're right. working on the new record, and it's wonderful to see one of the things I love about you guys so much. One of the many things is there you are, a real live yeah, rock really band pumped. in a real studio, um, actually on in the right? studio making a record. Yeah, I can I can hear you if you can hear me. Good. Yeah, yeah. You cut out for just a second there. We're I didn't I didn't catch that last bit, so I'll just start talking. Yeah, go ahead. And tell you what we're doing. Um, yeah, we've been uh, been writing all year, um, and just kind of taking our time putting this record together, kind of like we did on Feral Roots, um, and then woodshedding and just seeing what works because you you know you can write on your own, Scott and I we send ideas back and forth to each other, but it's really different when you get the band, get everybody in the room together and get everyone's, you know, collective energy on it. You invariably you switch gears, you know? So that's been a really cool process. That, and that's what I was alluding to is the fact that you're there. You are. It's so cool to see a band in a historic, amazing studio like that in a big room, everybody together. So many artists I talked to, Hey, we didn't even see each other. We were sending files around. You guys still do it in that way where you all are able to come together, which I think is amazing and makes for such a, a great vibe to your records. Yeah. You, you know, uh, everybody's got their own way of going about it. And I know that necessity is going to dictate a lot of our, our limitations right now. You know, um, necessity, necessity is going to dictate the way that you force yourself to go about it. Um, the remote idea of recording, we're, we just aren't that type of a band. Um, and we have to be together. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get in a fight if you're 2000 miles away from each other. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to be in the same room and choke each other out every once in a while. Have there been any knockdown drag outs yet, Jay? Always, always. (laughs) It's a rival. It's a rival son's record. Of course, there's always going to be chip teeth and headlocks and submission holds every time. And that's just Dave Cobb. (laughs) That's not even counting everybody else. So how, how, uh, now, now, if I'm not mistaken, you guys, timing-wise with the whole pandemic, things kind of worked out okay, because I don't... Did, did you lose anything? I know you're supposed to go to Europe with Aerosmith, and I know that's yeah. been bumped, but this actually... The pandemic actually hit at a time where, for the most part, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had some downtime, right? I think Jay froze up on us there for a second. Well, just like a lead story, just like everybody else for this. You got me now? Yeah, you're back now. You, you got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. 
I was going to say, Eddie, that it's really like a, a, it's a lemons lemonade situation, just like, just like for everybody else. We still had plans. We had festivals. We had all of that stuff. We lost out in, on this last year, our entire crew lost out just like everyone's crew just like everyone, you know, just all across the board, there was that loss, but then it, it was forced on us. So I think that it was really, it was really just how can we capitalize on this time? Um, how can we, how can we make the best out of this time of isolation? And it really came through with writing and collaboration. So how long has this process been going, Jay? Where are you as far as writing and recording? Have you started to record anything yet? Where, where are you guys at? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've been recording. Um, I can't really say how many songs we've got. I mean, you know, we have a few I, at this point, Eddie, I'm not sure which ones are going to live, which ones are going to die. Um, because it's always pretty much with us. It, it's always down to the last minute, you know, as things are framing at le- that aperture closing in. Um, as we go, you kind of learn which ones are the, you know, the strongest and the, the runs of the litter always, um, they end up staying on the studio floor. But uh, to, to answer more of your question, we, we began writing pretty much, you know, I would say right about this time last year. And, um, you know, Scott had his hands full. I had my hand full with a bunch of other projects. And then the, in the interim, uh, my family had a baby. So that takes up a lot of energy. And then Congrats. also moved. Thank you very much. We moved back to California. And that takes a lot of energy too. So there's been no shortage of other, other things taking up um, uh, the mental energy, but we have kept this burning pretty much this entire last year. And, and as far as the, uh, the process for the band, I know when I talked to you guys, when, when Feral Roots came out talking to you and Scott, that record was done in terms of creatively in a different way that you had done your previous records where you, you guys did them. If I'm not mistaken, you, you went in and you did the record where you really didn't have anything locked in. You kind of just, you, you wrote it as it came. Are you going with that same approach for this record? Is, is it a similar approach to recording and writing? I think that this record is much more akin to the way that we went about feral roots. Um, at this point in our, in the bands, I, I don't even want to say career, but just at this point in our, our growth as a collective, I think that taking our time a little bit more um, and spending more time down in the mine to see what we can come up with. uh, We definitely did a lot more of that in trying to shape ideas. And, um, and so coming in with coming in with songs. uh, So we have that, but also at the same time, we just do our regular jamming and writing on the floor, just like we always have. So it ends up being a combination and, and feral roots was very much that way as well. Now that there, you have some distance between feral roots and, and uh, the release of the record, when you look back on the record, where do you feel it sits in your catalog? For me, it's probably my favorite record still. And I listened to it like it just came out, but for you as an artist who made it, wrote it, sang it, do you, do you still feel strongly about it? How do you, you know, whenever an artist gets a little distance on a, on a record, it's interesting to hear what their take is on it. So how do you feel about it now? I think that's going to vary from day to day, my opinion. 
Sometimes I can't listen to any of our records. I think we're the worst. And then other times <laughs> I think, and then, and then other times you catch me on a good day. I think, ah, you know what? Well, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty good. Ah, that album turned out pretty good. Um, you know, I think that that, that can be said of most, of most artists. Um, uh, you know, Feral Roots, I really more than anything, it, Feral Roots was pretty much a benchmark for us in terms of um, cultivating our own sound. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that early on, we, I believe we wore our influences on our sleeve, which is what you do. Um, but I think that the further the further on we went, um, we really took a left turn when um, following up Great Western Valkyrie. That was a, that was a big one. But then we took a real left turn with Hollow Bones, the mm-hmm. album after that. And I think that that sharp left turn that we took on the Hollow Bones record of just throwing it all out and taking uh, a new approach. I think that taking that left turn gave us the personal freedom to do whatever we wanted. So then I don't think that Feral Roots could have existed the way that it did without uh, the Hollow Bones record. And I feel the same way about this record that we're working on now. Well, it's interesting we're talking about catalog and past records from Rival Sons because you have you're going to start a reissue campaign of those records with your own record label. So tell everybody a little bit about that. I know when this was announced last week, I got excited because I thought that meant a new single was coming. I knew you were teasing something. So it sounds like the new music's a little further down the road, but there is an exciting project that you're doing with the catalog and and a label that you're starting. So fill the audience in on that if you will. Yeah, I'd be happy to. What it is, um, early on, you know, our, our early recordings, the Before the Fire record, the the self-titled EP, um, those records didn't really get a proper release. Not, uh, neither of them did, you know. We finally got... Um, we finally got a release with the Pressure and Time record that came after both of those. So we sat on both of these records we would sell them at shows and online um but we held on to the rights of of all of this early material um and we with uh the rights to those recordings the master rights to those recordings returning back to us after licensing them out to eric uh eric records um well when that term when the masters came back to us we were we knew that 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 was the right time to, to really put our, our destiny into our, our hands and uh, helm the ship ourselves because we had to look at, okay, well, if we're going to get someone to distribute this, you know, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to go about that? And I think that, you know, with being on Atlantic and, and low country sound now, I think it, it really wanted a, it, it made us want to start our own imprint and, and start our own label to take care of that back catalog and um, and to make sure that our fan base was going to you know get all of these new designs and get these you know repressings and we wanted to make them available so starting our own record label that just seemed like the way to do it sacred tongue recordings and we did that through uh, 30 tigers here in Nashville so the initial releases on this, Jay, will be the first two Rival Sons records. You you already did a vinyl run, and I know CD's coming as well. That's what it starts right. with, right? That's right. And uh, the releases, they'll be trickling out 
uh, they'll be trickling out to the to the world in a um, in a sequential manner. You know, we have uh, we have uh, the before the fire record and the EP being launched now. Pretty quickly, you know, we're going to be seeing the the re-release and the anniversary of uh, the Pressure and Time record, um, and then further down the road, we'll be doing the same thing with Head Down, and then um, and on and on. But we're going to trickle things out little by little, um, just to make it special, keep it special, you know. And is anything going to be done to these uh, packaging, remixing, remastering, extra songs, any of that, or is it just going to be uh, dis- you know, distributed through your own outlet? Well, these, you know, they are remastered. Both of these, uh, before the fire and the EP were re- remastered through Infosonic mastering Pete Lyman over there who had originally mastered, uh, the recordings, but we, uh, we got those remastered. And in terms of additional content, we are, we're whipping up all kinds of, uh, crazy ideas right now. So right now it, it's a little, uh, it's a little safe just for these quick releases, you know, beyond, um, you know, new colors and things like that. Uh, but we, we played it safe here, but we have a lot of plans for the subsequent re-releases. You know, I talked to you about how you feel about Feral Roots, which of course is the latest record still. But when you go back and you dive into the first two records, like you're doing to do these reissues, what are your thoughts about listening to them again and how they sit with you now? It's really interesting. And and I'm glad that you asked about that because when I go back and I listen to that first record, the Before the Fire record, you know, for me, I don't really consider that personal. I don't really consider it uh, a, a real Rival Sons record because that was a holdover from what the guys were doing with their previous band. But we needed that promotional tool. We needed an album to sell. Um, but we hadn't really come together as a band yet, but um, a lot of those songs, they were just too good for that, that record to just live in obscurity and just die the way that so many great records do through lack of opportunity. So um, I sang, I sang on that record uh, and it ended up being just the right promotional tool that we needed to get things kickstarted. And it gave us something to put into people's hands. And it, it really, we got a lot of mileage out of it. So when I listen to that, it's great. I remember the band sweating it out in a rehearsal studio and those very, very early gigs, which there weren't a whole lot of before we ended up taking off in LA when things started coming together. So before the fire, it sounds young and it, a lot of it sounds unrealized. But there are a couple of tracks, like I think On My Way and uh, Memphis Sun. Those are real standout tracks for me when I listen to it, that they're, the, the writing's fantastic on those. Um, now with the EP, the EP is really nostalgic for me because that's the first record where we wrote that together and we put it together in our little rehearsal space. And um, you can tell the difference in the writing and you can hear the band's identity really coming together. And that was a precursor to the pressure and time record. Yeah. Well, I look forward to these. I mean, I think, I think it's great that you're doing this because maybe, you know, now the band's profile is obviously way higher. 
Uh, Feral Roots was a, a big record for you guys. I think to to shine a light on the catalog and what came before for newer fans who maybe aren't aware of it to have these reissued and, and a, a fresh coat of paint on them, I think is going to be a great thing because there's obviously a lot of that music that still makes up your set list when you play live and it's some, some great, great stuff. So I think it's, it's probably great timing to be able to do this. It really is. I think the retrospect that we have uh, when going back, looking over this older material, we're also at the, at the same time, we're going back through old video footage, old photographs. And that's definitely inspiring a lot of ideas for us to, uh, to provide, um, to provide some of those behind the scenes looks um, for our audience. And I think that I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, um, curating those, curating that media and, and curating these opportunities for, um, for people to get a little bit more out of each record, you know? And just for clarity, Jay, the label is going to exist for you to do, to, to deal with your back catalog. It's not necessarily for new records you make going forward for rival sons, right? Well, no, as, as of now, it's only for our back catalog. Uh, right now we're under contract with Atlantic, uh, records and with uh, low country sound records um so we're under contract with them and our 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 records right now are going to go through them in terms of putting out other records or finding other bands or looking you know we all scott and i both have different bands that we look at um, that are kind of in obscurity around the world and we would love to to be able to make plans to to help out some other artists that we know but I think that that's going to be further down the road if we have that opportunity, because we want to make sure that we have a seaworthy vessel. You know, we want to make sure that we can, we, we want to make sure that we use ourselves as the guinea pig in the litmus test, as opposed to anyone else. You know. So going forward, before I let you go, cause I hear Miley working those drums up. So I'm sure yeah. you guys are getting ready to work. Um, give yeah, everybody right over there. <laughs> You can hear his drums from a mile away, man. They always sound great. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so give everybody, the Rival Suns fans listening, above and beyond these reissues, a timetable. What is your hope to have new music out? Will it be by the end of this year? Is that the target? Oh, let's see. Um, <laughs> I think the, t- the target is we're, we're trying to get it out before the end of the year. Possibly... Uh, possibly the fall is what we're looking at like early fall that would be great if we could do that but the record isn't done you know we're dealing with so many x factors here uh and material all of that stuff you know we're the it's still very much molten lava at this point it hasn't uh had a lot of it hasn't solidified we're just we're working the best that we can so without that being done i can't say definitely but it would be great to have a record out um, by the fall. And there are some artists now in the last few weeks that I've been talking to Jay that have told me about shows. They have one-offs certain parts of the country that there are places that are doing shows. I had Joe Bonamassa on last week. He's did a string of four or five shows, one in Nashville actually coming up. So are you guys open to doing shows in areas that are open or are you just going to wait to play live until you can properly tour and play everywhere? Timely question there. I, Eddie, for us, uh, we've been 
our first priority is safety for people. We're losing our minds, you know, without an audience to play for. Right. Uh, but at this time, you know, I, at this time, I know it's been a forced lockdown for everybody, but we're very keen to do our part and to look at the overall health of the audience and not put, not, not give people the opportunity to uh, undo a lot of the progress that's been made in, in getting that ball down the field, you know, in, in getting through all of this. So um, I know a lot of people are doing it right. And I know a lot of people are doing a really, really good job. Um, but I think that we've had, like knowing that we have this record to concentrate on, we've looked at it and thought, you know, we, we'd really like to provide our crew with some work and, and at the same time, just be together and play music. But we've looked at a, a, a lot of different uh, avenues that we could go down and one hasn't lined up. It really makes sense for us yet, but we're going to continue to keep looking for that. Yeah. And the last thing uh, along that lo- those lines is everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people has have gone down the live stream deal and done live streaming shows. To my knowledge, unless I missed it, Rival Sons has not done that. Is that something that you don't feel is quite right for the band that's not of interest to you? I'm not sure that it is quite right for us. Um, we... Number one, we, in order to get all of us together and have our crew, it's going to be expensive. Um, it's going to cost a lot of money. And in order to get that money, in order to get that overhead taken care of, man, I'm apprehensive to, to have like insane ticket prices um, and to make the audience bear the, the weight of that. You know, because I know people will, but there's something that doesn't feel right. And, um, and so we continue to, to explore ways to make that work because we do, we want to be able to play for people, you know, and we, we want to, we want to service our international community and we want, want to be able to bring people together the way that we're used to doing, but there's the financial side of it. And, um, you know, when it comes to the, the live streaming and then the live shows, you have the, um, infection, you know, the danger of infection or, um, undoing any of our progress, you know? So the live stream, we're working on it. We're working on it. I don't have any concrete answers that I'm feel comfortable giving out yet, but, um, but we've got, we've got a couple of really good leads. Well, Jay, I'm optimistic. I mean, it's been a year of everybody, you know, dealing with this thing. But I think as the vaccines roll with three of them out there right now, and I was able to get a first shot a week, a few less than a week ago. And I know a lot of people in my area that are getting it and it's rolled down to to other people. I feel optimistic. I feel like we're turning a corner. I think if everybody can hold it together a little while longer, we can all get out there and see shows the way we want to see them and get back out there and and do our thing. And I hope that's, I certainly hope that's, you know, coming sooner than later for, for all the bands. And like you accurately point out, we all miss the bands and we miss, I miss seeing and hearing you sing and you guys do your thing. But there's crews, there's people that own the venues. It's a trickle-down thing from the merch to the truck drivers to the bus drivers. It's across the board. That's right. So the whole thing needs to get rolling safely for the benefit of everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we saw that there's going to be – they're going to be lifting the bands um, over in the U.K. You know, you, you saw that news last week, how they're going to let the – 
they feel comfortable, you know, letting the festival season um, go on the way it typically would. So, of course, I look at that and I think, oh, that's awesome. But then I feel like, is it is it too soon? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But it's that whole like um, you want to do what's right and you want you want all of this time of isolation. You don't want it to be for nothing. You know, you want to watch the numbers go down and you want them to stay down so that we can, you know, for us, you know, we're playing live music. There are so many other industries that have taken it just as hard and harder than we have. So just looking for the end. We're looking for the end of all of this. Lastly, tell everybody where they can get stuff as far as the reissues. Should they go online? Should they go to the Rival Sun site? Is there a label site? Yeah. Where do, well, people, you can go, where do people go? You can go to sacredtonguerecordings.com. You can go to rivalsuns.com. And you can also, you know, there are Amazon. There are all kinds of varied uh, media outlets that you can, you can search for things. Uh, we've tried... Whenever we've uh, released things, we've tried to limit consumption or orders uh, so that, um, you know, third parties don't come and snatch everything up and then charge our fan base triple or quadruple. You know how they do. So we've really been trying to keep a a watchful eye on all of that. But you can get it everywhere, you know, but uh, definitely we'd appreciate you going to sacredtonguerecordings.com and i'm glad you're doing cds i i know that it's a big vinyl kick right now but i am still a cd guy to my core still my favorite format and i was really happy to see that that's part of the formats you're putting out and you know cassettes are coming back too jay so you may have to start doing those also we're ready we're ready i got your text man you're looking for an eight track I got you back. <laughs> I'm not that old school. <laughs> I'm just no, holding uh, on to my CDs. <laughs> uh, hey, man, I love CDs too. You know, we get, I think that with uh, vinyl, of course, I love vinyl. You know, I collect vinyl like everybody else does. And I've got my, I've got my situation at home where you set it up in a good system. You put it on. Man, I, I, I don't find myself with enough time to do that. Very often CDs, you can put it on, then you can get to your work or you can, you know, being a father and then having uh, all of my just regular daily chores, my own music to work on. I don't, I don't have enough time to sit and listen to my records, not as much time as I would like to. And I think that anybody that has a record collection feels that exact same way, you know, but uh, CDs are a lot more convenient and it's, it's, it's a far stretch away from this horrid MP3 culture, you know, and, uh, the streaming just streaming while well, you're trading fidelity for convenience. I understand. I do it. That's exactly what I do. I can't bring my record collection or my CD collect. I can't bring that with me on the road out on tour. So I've got the, the world's jukebox at the end of my arm and my phone. So, but when I can, I, I definitely enjoy CDs as well, Eddie. Well, it's good to know you're back in California too, because when things are normal, I'm there every month. So we'll definitely uh, have to hook up and, come and hang out on the show anytime you guys know you all have an open door and um i I can't wait for some new music from you and uh feel free to check in anytime and keep us posted on how it's going absolutely yeah man come see me in uh california i'll take you over to in and out burger (laughs) or something don't have to twist my arm on that (laughs) it's all it's always great uh talking with you and and i'll tell you the same thing that i always tell you we appreciate your support so much, Eddie. You know, you've been really good to us over the years, man. I really appreciate it. 
Well, I appreciate what you guys do and what you guys have done and continue to do. I think it's really important for rock music and you guys are absolutely one of the best and I'm pulling for you all the way. So send my best to the guys and, and say, say hi to Dave Cobb for me and don't get into too many fights here as you work your way through the day, <laughs> <laughs> pulling apart the tunes. I'm sure it'll be great at the end of the day. However, it has to get there. It's going to be something, but uh, we're having a good time over here. All looking right, forward cool. to, to looking forward to rejoining everybody out there. Everybody stay safe. Jay, take care, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, brother. All right. We'll you see. You got it. Well, two of my favorite newer bands, neither of them are new, but newer. Thanks to Jay Buchanan right there from Rival Sons. Can't wait for new music from that band. And Taylor Momsen earlier. Great new music out now from The Pretty Reckless. Check out Death by Rock and Roll. Thank you for listening. However, wherever, whenever you do it, Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You can find me on Cameo if you're interested in a personalized video. Just search my name there. And you can also follow on social media, especially Twitter and Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for checking out the show. I'll be back next Thursday for another all-new episode. And remember, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to listen to me daily on volume, Sirius XM Channel 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, or any content you want on the SiriusXM app. Have yourselves a great rest of the week, folks. Hope to catch you on the radio, if not back here next Thursday. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.